Hello, and welcome to another episode of Daf Shui, Weekly Daf. Give me 40 minutes or so, and I'll give you a Daf or so. This week, it's the run-up to Tubav. Tubav is this kind of weird holiday that we only find in the Mishnah, but it's a holiday where young men, young women, depending on actually on the Gersa, on the version of the Mishnah, whether it's the men who come out dressed in white, the women come out dressed in white, and they go out and they have... Uh, a dance in the fields, but the Mishnah says, "Loayu yamim tovim Yisrael They were two of the greatest holidays of the year, Tubav, fifteenth day of Av, coming up, and Yom Kippur, which one doesn't normally think of as a holiday, but actually is a holiday because it's the day in which we celebrate the fact that we will be forgiven, that we will be, we can be redeemed. So for the next forty minutes or so, we're going to shield ourselves and take refuge from the pandemic, from racist violence, from everything that's going on around outside, and just stay for 40 minutes in these four cubits of halacha in the Beit Midrash in the closet, in the safer at home Daf Shui Beit Midrash. Okay, so we're going to start, we're going to go back actually uh, two lines uh, last week, uh, explain that we did the last... Uh, case of Zemer Shlavotai, Zemer Shlavotai, which was at the end of the cases before, but actually there's a whole stamaitic piece that's added on, and we'll see that today. So we're going to go back and take a running start from Zemer Shlavotai, Zemer Shlavotai. This one says, it's my ancestors, and this one says, it's my ancestors. I'm a Rav Nachman called Alam Gvar. Rav Nachman says, in that case, the one who uh, is stronger wins. And last week you explained that that could either mean physically beating each other up or with proof. And most of the commentators uh, say that it's because what's happening is that the court just wants to put it in a place where they could actually say something about it. If there's equal evidence on both sides, so there's equal evidence on both sides, they can't say anything about it. So now today's, this whole sugya that's generated out of this, if there's equal evidence on both sides, what can the court actually say, will generate other situations in which we'll see that the court also tries somewhat desperately, perhaps, to get out of situations where there's equal evidence on both sides. The other thing that we talked about a little bit last week was that this is, it's not clear whether this called Alim Gvar, the stronger one, will overcome or overtake, is, or overpower, is itself a decision, a psak, right, a legal decision, or is it just a way to, a way to clear the way for a legal decision? Two people are arguing over a piece of land. They fight each other. Somebody ends up on the piece of land. And then we have somebody who's a moxie, who owns the piece of land, who's holding. And the other person is a plaintiff. So then the plaintiff, there's rules. The plaintiff, the one who's a plaintiff has to bring proof. And if he doesn't have proof, then it goes to the other guy. God forbid there are no political implications of two people fighting over the same piece of land both of them having equal evidence that it's theirs. None at all. Okay. Here we go. So, So what's the difference between this case and the case of two contracts that were written on the same day? That in that case, Rob said they should divide it, and Shmuel said, literally means it's the throw of the judges. But actually, it's up to the total judicial discretion. So why is this case different than that? Now, one could ask, logically, what difference does it make if two 
contracts came out on the same day. One of them was written earlier than the other. Ah, so here we have a legal principle, which is that there are no days, there are no times of the day for contracts. Right? And this is, we find this in an interesting case in Ketubot, 94b. So Rami Barachama's mother wrote all of her inheritance to Rami Barachama in the morning. But then towards evening, she wrote her inheritance to Marukva Barachama, his brother. Two brothers, both claiming the inheritance. Ati Rami Barachama, the Kamid Rav Sheshet. So Rami Barachama went to Rav Sheshet, Ukmei Benichsa, and Rav Sheshet said, Okay, you're right, the inheritance is yours. Ati Mar Ukva, the Kamid Rav Nachman. So Mar Ukva went to Rav Nachman, another Tana, Ukmei Benichsa, and he gave the he gave the the inheritance to Ukvam Barchama to the brother. That's Rav Sheshit Lakamid Rav Nachman. Rav Sheshit then went to Rav Nachman. I'm like my time of Marhachi. So he said to him, "Why did you do this, Rav Nachman? Why did you follow this? I already gave the inheritance to the, to to Rami Barchama. Why did you give it to his brother Ukva?" I'm like And he said, "Why did you give it to Rami Barchama in the first place?" I'm like Kadim. He said, because his star was earlier. It was in the morning. Are we sitting in Jerusalem wherein they write hours in the contract? Apparently, in Jerusalem, it's not other days, but it is the hours. But every place else, it's just a day. Who cares about the hours? So all contracts on the same day come out at the same time. Elamar, my time, Abed Hachi. But you, why did you give it away to Ukva Barachama? Amalei Shuda the Daini. So he said, because it's complete judicial discretion, we're at a place, equal, they both have shtarot, they both have equal weight, so I give it to whoever I want to give it to. So Rav Nachman said, oh, okay, so I'm also judicial discretion. I'm also giving it to whoever I want to give it to. Rav Sheshit said back to him, so I am a judge and you are not a judge. And secondly, you, when you said why you were doing what you were doing, at first you didn't say it was because of Shuda the Daini. You said it was because of the hour of the day. So therefore, you can't go back now and say it was Shuda the Daini. Okay, so that's a great case. It's a good way for a mother to be able to mess over her kids in the last, the last act she does in her life. But also it shows that there are no hours in a case. That's why we have this case of two contracts that are signed on the same day, meaning that they're, that mean, which means legally they're basically signed at exactly the same time. And in that case, Rob says, you should divide them. And Shmuel says, it's completely up to judicial discretion. So why do we do that? Why don't we say there, whoever beats up the other guy actually gets it. It seems with these brothers, that would have been something to say. Okay. So now what's the difference between Shuda Dedaini and Yachloku? Why would Rab, what, what is the machloket, what is the dispute between Rab and Shmuel? So the Rashbam explains it the following way, that Yachloku, when you, so somebody is going to get half of what they belong, right? You know that somebody's going to at least get half of, of what's coming to them. Shuda Dedaini, it could be that you're just stealing from some person. 
right? You just taking it all like Ruvain. It was really Ruvain's land because he's the one that got it first. And uh, you're actually giving it to uh, to Shifra. On the other hand, Shmuel would say, Shura Dedaini, it could you could actually guess the right person, and that person will get 100% of what belongs to him. Yachloku, the one thing you know is that somebody's losing 50%. Somebody's getting 50% taken away from them for no reason. All right. So now, what is actually Yachloku? Everybody understands. It's not, sometimes people think Yachloku is compromise. It's not compromise. It's 50%. 50%. That's not necessarily a compromise. It's just dividing in half. Shmuel says, what is Shuda Dedaini? So there's a, an interesting dispute here. The Rashbam says Shuda Dedaini is that basically a hunch that the judge, it, there's no, because there's no proof. If there was any proof, it wouldn't be Shuda Dedaini. So what it is actually is the judge tries to figure out a theory for himself. You know, like maybe I've seen him with the guy who gave the inheritance, so maybe he liked him. I saw the way he looked at him, so he probably he probably should get it. Right? It's just a hunch. That's all it is. It's a hunch, but it is a hunch, right? There is some kind of something. Tosvot actually says Rabbeinu Tam in the Tosvot says Lemishia whoever the judge wants to give it, right? And then so in other words, complete judicial discretion, complete judicial discretion. So then Tosvot Rabbeinu Tam says. But then that could be a problem, right? Because what if he wants to give it to the one who's going to give him money? So then he says, so then he, his fallback is the fact that that can't happen because we know that judges have complete integrity. If you don't have complete integrity, you're not a judge, right? It was just like we said, so before the Renachman of Shesh, Renachman said to Shesh, you're not a judge. So here it would be that you're not a judge, meaning you don't have, if you if you going to take the money, then you don't have, then you're not a judge because you don't have integrity. So then you can't do shoot at the dining. So that's another circular part of the circular argument. Okay, so now we're back to our question in the Gemara. Why is this different than the case of Zomer Shlavotai and Zomer Shlavotai? This one says my ancestors. This one says it's my ancestors. Why in that case did Rav Nachman say that the answer is called Alam Gvar? Whoever overpowers wins. And here we have this machloket Rav and Shmuel about whether or not it's divided or judicial discretion. So the Stam says the following: Hatam leka lemekam alad demilta, hacha ika lemekam alad demilta. So there, meaning the case of the two contracts going on the same day, there is no way ever to prove what really happened, because we 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 say that two contracts that come out on the same day, it's as if they they were written at the same instant. So therefore, the two brothers, or whoever it was, acquired the land at the same exact instant. So there's no way ever to be able to distinguish between the two of them. Here, in the case of this one says it's my ancestors, this one says it's my ancestors, there's a possibility. One of them is, is telling the truth, and one of them isn't, whether or not they're lying or they think they're telling the truth. But there is a possibility that one that that proof could come out of somewhere and show who actually owns the property. So that's why there it's called Alam Gvar, because called Alam Gvar leaves it open for further judicial action. Right? Once somebody gets it, then the other person is a motzi, is somebody trying to alienate the land from its current owner. And he does that through evidence. And if he gets evidence, then, he, then it's his. Right. Umaishna. So then the Stam says, what about, why is it different from the following case? 
Mehad, it's not from this that we learned in the Mishnah, Hamachlif Parabah Chamor Vialda, Vachena Mocher Shivchato Vialda, Zelmer Achlomachati Yalda, Zelmer Mishlakachti Yalda. Okay, so here, the first half of this, this Mishnah is, you know, as you'd expect, the second half of this Mishnah is massively disturbing. The Gemara is not worried about the disturbing part, which is even more disturbing. It's not the Mishnah says, one who switches, who trades a cow for a donkey. And then the cow gave birth. And also, one who sells a maidservant and she gave birth. So this one says, she, either the maidservant or the cow, gave birth prior to being sold. And this one says, This one says that the maidservant or the cow gave birth prior to being sold. And this one says, from after they gave birth, they were sold. Meaning, if the sale happened prior to giving birth, then the calf belongs to the second owner and the child belongs to the second owner. If the sale happened after giving birth, then the, then it belongs to the first owner, right? We'll discombobulate it because the case is so awful, right? They're selling a, a woman and then they're gonna not going to have, they're going to take away her child, depending on who ends up when the sale happens and who ends up owning the child. And this is not even commented upon. This is not the part of the Gemara that, that's disturbing at all. This is, you know, the Gemara lived in a slave society. Jewish society, contrary to popular wisdom, was a slave-owning society until, like the surrounding cultures, until pretty late. We have documents from the Geniza in Cairo in the 10th century in which we have evidence of slave-owning. So um, we'll only talk about the, the, well, we'll talk about both of them. So the, the question is just, so again... There's no way of knowing because neither of them were present at the birth of the calf for the birth of the child. And so therefore, otherwise, if they saw, then they saw, right? But they were they were doing the chalipin. They were doing the the acquisition one place and, and the, the cow and the, uh, the maidservant were someplace else. And so therefore, they had no idea. They had no way of knowing whether it was before or after. So then they argued there's no way to tell. So therefore, they say yachloku. They divide. Now, they don't mean that they divide the child. They don't mean that they cut the child in half. It's not a Solomonic thing. But rather, the price, one person gets the child, one person, uh, and the other person gets the uh, amount of money for the child. So why is this different? And then the Gemara, the only thing that bothers the Gemara is, why is this case different than the case of, this land belonged to my father, this land belonged to my father? Why there do we say, called the Alamvar, and here we say, divide it. Hatam lahai it lay dry the mamona, ulahahu it lay dry the mamona. The difference is because in that case of the calf and the cow, both of them had a financial investment, right? They're both were, the, one was the previous owner, one is the current owner, and it was just a transaction happening between the two of them. But here in the case of the property, that this one said it's my, my ancestors, this one said it's my ancestors, if it belonged to this one, then it didn't belong to that one. And if it belonged to this one, then it didn't belong to the other one. So therefore, it's not as if we just have to figure out where along the line of the transaction the birth happened. And then we know that one person had it more than the other. Because here, it's just two people who are not sitting on the land are both claiming the land. And there's no way to know. There's no way to know who it really belongs to. Okay, now one last final twist. Amri Nardai. So the Nehardians, who we actually saw a couple of, of pages ago with the question of going outside and 
changing one's mind. Right? If you make a claim in court and you go outside and you go back and you make another claim, that was the last time the Nehardai, the Nehardayans, made a cameo appearance. Here they're back! If somebody came from the marketplace and grabbed onto the land, so then you cannot take it out of his hands. Right? So two people are fighting over this land, saying this one's screaming, it was my ancestors. The other one's screaming, it was my ancestors. And the first one's screaming, it was my ancestors. And the second one's screaming, it was my ancestors. And meanwhile, Chayamushka comes along and sits on the land and says, no, you know what? Uh, sorry, it's mine. So in that case, she got it. You can't take it away from her. Why? Ah, you would have thought that maybe she'd gotten it okay, in a just way, legitimate way. No, Rebchia said that one who steals from many is not considered a thief. Why? Said, why? It's not that they're, why is he called, why, is, why are they not called a thief? Because she just came along. She didn't make a claim. She didn't think that she had a claim on the property. She just sat down on it. But no, it's because there's nobody, you never know who to give it back to. So she has a problem. She's of Kahak Deterris, as they say in the old country. She has a problem because she comes in she steals land, and then she says, you know what? I'm, I'm really sorry. I, I, I didn't mean to steal land, so I have to give it back. But who do you give it back to? You can't give it back to Yankel, and you can't give it back to Shmerl. Why? Because neither of them, they're still fighting over it. Nobody knows who it belonged to. So Lonitan Lehishavon. So therefore, they're not called a gazlan. They're not called a thief because they can't actually do tshuva. Right? They can't return it. Basically, they can't uh, ever repent. Coming up on Yom Kippur. Coming up on Yom Kippur. This week's podcast is brought to you by Choni the Circle Maker. Is your business in a rut? Are you looking for an angle? Want a way to pull in some extra bucks? Well, you've come to the right place. Choni is a real rainmaker. No, seriously, he'll make it rain like you've never seen. I'm talking raining buckets. Big buckets. Pouring. Flooding. Come to Choni if you want to hire someone who's going to really make it rain. Choni at www.notametaphor.com. Really, not a metaphor. All right. We're finally getting to the next piska in the Mishnah. Right? So talking about, if we go all the way back to the Mishnah. So the time it takes to establish an ownership, a claim of ownership on all of these things, houses and pits and, and caves and water holders and etc. and so forth, three years from day to day. So now we're up to the the time that it takes to establish a claim of ownership is three years from day to day. So now here we have an interesting um all the manuscripts say that this isn't Rabbi Abba, but Amarava. Now, in the Rishami, oftentimes Rava is spelled Resh Aleph Bet Aleph, and that's what could have happened here. And Rava is also very possibly a contraction of Rabbi Abba. But the second guy here at Rav Zvid is also in all the manuscripts, just about in four out of five manuscripts checked. Actually, five out of six manuscripts. It's Rava. One of those manuscripts actually says Rava in both places. So 
That'll come in handy in a minute. Amarava e dali lei ihu gufe tina de pere la alter habi la alter habi chazaka. So if he himself picked up a basket of fruit, so it is immediately a chazaka. Now, what happened here? So there are two ways of reading this line. And the reason there are two ways of reading this line is actually because there are three ways of reading this line because we're missing words. And it's one of those kind of lines. Right? So there e dali lei. If he picked up lei for himself, right? That's one of them redundant pronouns, perhaps. Ihu gufe, he himself, sina de pere, a basket of fruit, la'alter al chazaka, so immediately it's a chazaka. So we have who's the he, who's the he, and who is the he himself. So there are two ways of, two basic ways of reading it, both and brought down in the Rashbam. The first is that if the marakama, if the first owner, the previous owner, helped the machzik, the guy who owns it now, with a basket of fruit, so in other words, they're just hanging out on the field, and the marakama, the ma'arer, the guy who's challenging him, saying, no, it's my field. If he helps the guy who is who is now the mafzik, who's sitting on the land, who owns the land right now, if he helps him with a basket of fruit, so then immediately the guy, the mafzik, the guy who's sitting on the land, it, that's an admission of ownership. Right? In other words, that is, if, if Shifra is sitting on the land, Ruben saying, no, it's my land. And then... They're hanging out there, and Shifra's picking fruit, and then there's this basket of fruit, and Reuven picks it up and helps it on, helps Shifra to get it on her shoulders. That's can, and there are witnesses there. That's considered an admission by Reuven that the land belongs to Shifra. Okay, that's one way of reading it. The other way of reading it is that if the Machzik, if Shifra, gave the Marakama, gave Reuven a basket of fruit as a gift, right? So. They're arguing, and then uh, Reuben goes home, and Shifra says, here, take a basket of fruit with you. Then that is a sign that both the Mahzik, both Shifra and Reuben, see the land as belonging to Shifra. Okay, so those two ways of reading it. The third way of reading it is that if, and this third way of reading it, nobody says except for me, if Shifra, who's now in the land, picks up a basket or bucket of fruit in front of Reuben, and takes it home, and Reuben doesn't say anything, so that's considered an immediate chazaka. Okay, whichever one of these. Amar Abzvid, now here also all the manuscripts say Rava. Im ta'an v'amar le'perot horaditiv ne'eman. If Reuben then says, you know what? Yeah, because I sold him the fruit. So then Reuben's believed. The Marakama says, the first owner, the previous owner says, you know what? I sold him the fruit. Then he's believed. So now, all the manuscripts don't say Razi, they say Rava. Now, if we remember, if we go back to Dapim on Lam and Gimel 33b, we had Ravzvid who said, Im ta'an If he claimed that, uh, you know, this is the guy who says, it's my land, and then he went and I, I he said, I have witnesses, and then he went and he only brought witnesses for two years. And then, so Rav Nachman says, he has to give back the land and give back all the fruit that he ate. Then Ravzid says, if he said, you know what, I only got the fruit, he's believed, right? I only bought the fruit, so then he's believed. Now, there's also a manuscript there, the Escorial manuscript there also says that it's not Ravzid, it's Rabbah. Because if you remember back there, and here also, is this a new case or is this a continuation of the same case? So if it's Ravah, I'm a Ravah, it's not Ravah, it's not Ravzid saying, but it's Ravah saying, and there's an, a different possible conclusion to this case. 
Amar Rava, Rava said, Im ta'an amar If he claimed and said that I, I only sold him the fruit, so then he's believed. And that is only talking about within three within three years. But after three years, not. After three years, not. Okay. So Rav Ashi said to Rav Kahana, if he actually only sold him the fruit, what was he supposed to do? How, you know, so it's only believed within three years, but after three years, not. What, what is he supposed to, what was he supposed to do in order to, to make it believable? Rav Ashi says to Rav Kahana, if he actually only sold him the fruit, what should the owner who sold him the fruit have done? In order not to lose his field, because after three years he would have lost his field if he would have said, "I only." He can't say now, "I only gold. I only sold him the fruit." After three years, so Rav Kahana says, "Ravashi, I'm like So Rav Kahana says, "Ravashi, you should have. You should have been protesting all three years. Should every time he came by, he said, "I only sold him the fruit. I only sold him the fruit." To Elo, because if that's not the Elo Temahachi, because if you're not going to say that he has to protest for all three years, Hani Mashkanta Desura, this type of Syrian guarantee, Mashkanta Desura, or a Syrian guarantee, we, we mentioned it a couple of Dapim uh, ago, when the case, if you remember, it's the case of the orphans, and the guy owed money to the father of the orphans, and then a, a rumor went out that he was actually consuming the karka, the land of the orphans, and then he said no, and then he said yes, and so the Rishonim there said that actually he claimed that he had a mashkanta desur. He had a, a, a mashkon, a, a guarantee on the land that he could take the land for whatever number of years, let's see, 10 years, and that during that time he would consume the produce of the land and that would pay off the loan. Okay, so if you're not going to say that he has to protest every year, so then somebody who has that kind of a mashkanta desur, a loan on a Syrian guarantee, the Katabba, in which it says, B'mishlam shanya ele tipuk arada below kesef. At the end of X number of years, the land is taken away without any money. In other words, the land goes back to the original owner without any money. Ikavish le shtara, and if he hides that shtar, Ikavish le shtar mashkantagabe, and he hides that shtar by himself, that, that, that guarantee. And then makes a claim, it is mine, right? Because he's been sitting there eating the fruit, making cherry pies, making apple pies, making pear pies every year for more than three years. It says, you know why I've been doing this? Because it's mine. So we should also believe him in that case, right? Unless the other guy was protesting. So do you want to say that the rabbis created a mechanism which will which will cause somebody to lose their land, to lose their property. But rather, he has to protest. So here, in this case also, he has to protest. So what he's saying is that this is a mechanism. This protesting is a mechanism for asserting ownership in a situation. Remember from Tudafago, there is no contract for fruit. Right? So you can't, bring something out and say it's true. So here, so every year, that's, so that's a problem for the guy who bought the fruit. Now, the guy who sold the fruit, it's a problem because the guy who bought the fruit is sitting there on this land. The land isn't his. Only the fruit is his. 
and he's eating the fruit. So for the guy who sold it, he runs the risk of losing his land if the guy who bought the fruit said, look, I've been eating the fruit for, for three years. And so obviously if I've been eating the fruit for three years, that's a chazaka, that's a usufructus, the famous usufructus. So therefore the owner of the karka, the owner of the land has to protest all those three years, meaning, you know, every once in a while I'll come by and say, that's my land, you only have the fruit. That's my land, you only got the fruit. And he does that for three years, then it comes back, and then at the end of the three years, or whenever the, the, the time is up, he says, you know what, now I want my land back. You know why? Because it's my land! Okay, we're going to stop here. We're going to stop here. Thank you so much. It's a little bit shorter than usual. Pretty deep, but a little bit shorter than usual. Okay, thank you so much for coming. This way I want to thank, as usual, the Dashui team. The amazing producer, Elian Sargon. The amazing Chabruta, Shalata, Fun, Robert. And the amazing graphics team of Shachar Cohen Hodos, who made that great logo for Daf Shui. My name is Aryeh Cohen. You can follow me at Irmiklat, I-R-M-I-K-L-A-T. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Hope you come back next week. If you liked this last 40 minutes or so, please give me a rating. Good rating. Good rating on the uh, Apple podcast page. Tell all your friends about it. Come back next week. And once again, the sounds of Torah will ring out across this great country of ours. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Happy Tubav. Take refuge in Torah.